Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, this is the seventh episode of the designfootball.com podcast. My name is Jay. I am the resident blogger on designfootball.com, as always. Um, today I'm joined by Dennis Hurley. Uh, we said on the last podcast that it would be someone new on this podcast, but it's not. It's Dennis Hurley who's been on before, but that's great also. Hello, Dennis. Good morning, Jay. I'm, I'm sorry that I'm not someone new. Um, but I'll try my best to to be fresh and inventive. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it was disappointing, but we we we'll have to make do. Don't go, please don't go. Are you talking to me or the listeners? <laughs> How are you, Dennis? I'm I'm well. I'm I'm happy. Happy with life. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Arsenal having beaten Leicester 5-0 last week uh, was a big, big contributing factor to that. We're doing that again. That's great. The, uh, I might actually work very, very hard to release this podcast before that game happens, okay. just to spite you. I'll just look like a seer so, won't I? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's... Um, I don't know, you did beat them. We're not going to talk about that. Yeah. We'll t- we'll talk about Arsenal another day. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So something we said we would do on this podcast was talk about rugby and rugby's influence on uh, football. And Dennis runs the website internationalrugbyshirts.com, which is the closest thing to a full gallery of rugby kits, illustrated rugby kits that there is on the internet, or certainly that I've found so far. Um, Dennis, the evolution of rugby kits, rugby shirts, and so on. Are you, how, how has that happened? Because it turned professional when in the mid nineties. Uh, yeah, it was just after the uh, nineteen ninety five World Cup in South Africa. Uh, that that like uh, professionalism had been rumored for years and years, and there was there was talk of um, a Kerry Packer style breakaway. Um, of these super teams, but eventually, uh, all of the the national federations were kind of they got on board. Well, they were given no other option other than, than to get on board. So yeah, it's I suppose it's, it's just gone. It's it's twenty year anniversary. Ah uh, yeah okay. So it's it's fitting that we're talking about it right now because the Six Nations is on. Uh, that is I, I don't know how how popular that is in in places that don't have a team competing in the six nations but i reckon it doesn't register at all okay so this yeah all right well just to let people know then the six nations is a rugby tournament between 
the best uh, Northern Hemisphere uh, rugby teams, uh, international rugby teams. Is would that be correct? <laughs> yeah, I just made a joke. They're the best rugby teams and Scotland. <laughs> and Scotland. Uh, uh, I, I shouldn't yeah. laugh. Scotland uh, came closer to the World Cup semi-finals than Ireland did. Um, so, sorry to all the Scots out there. Okay. They. Um, I think that 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 joke seems to transcend sports. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it, it, it's 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 just the way it's gone, really, isn't it? Like it's the home of golf, and there's no real great Scottish golfers anymore. And well, I suppose in fairness, Andy Murray is at the top of his sport, but it's it seems like a small payback. Like they should have really um, beaten Ireland in the qualifying for Euro 2016, and they really just kind of blew their chance. And mm. yeah, and the rugby hasn't been good for a while. But then they nearly beat Australia, so. Uh, Maybe, maybe there is hope. Like I suppose they needed to beat England last week, but it didn't really happen for them. Okay, I mean, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. I know nothing about rugby, but you should also uh, be aware that Andy Murray is British rather than Scottish. Ever since he's started winning, uh, I think that joke uh, is is so hackneyed, really, isn't it? And I don't think there's any real basis. Uh, what for him being British? I don't think there's any truth in the fact that he's Scottish when he loses and British when he wins. He like uh... when he loses, he's still Britain's Andy Murray. Like it's not like it's not like they don't uh, still support him. Yeah, but he loses in the final now. <laughs> so that makes him more British. <laughs> I I, yeah. I if you can find examples I, I think there was a study done on it last year and it basically concluded that it was a lot of uh, hogwash okay uh, I think he became British when he did actually bow to the um, the royal box despite saying he wasn't going to so maybe, maybe that's the that's the line in the sand I suppose okay I'll, uh, I'll take your word uh... for that Mm. Okay, so we should maybe talk about rugby a little bit. So, the 20th anniversary of, of rugby becoming professional, also the Six Nations. Uh, Six Nations, Google it if you don't know what the Six Nations is, but it's a big rugby tournament in the Northern Hemisphere, but all the Northern Hemisphere teams are rubbish anyway, so you're probably better watching the Tri-Nations or something, what's it called in the in the Southern Hemisphere? It's rather haughtily called the Rugby Championship ever since they let Argentina into it. Oh, of course. There is now. Uh, and, and and they're not bad either. They used to be rubbish, but now they're quite good. But, but the Rugby Championship is... You know, I with golf, it's okay because the Open Championship was the first, the original and best. But this is just... A real kind of uh, up yours to the Six Nations, I think. The rugby championship, hmm. yeah, but they are better. So you, they, there is some basis for for saying that they are all better. Didn't Argentina knock Ireland out of the Rugby World Cup? They did, yeah. All the four semi-finalists okay. were the four teams in the rugby championship. Okay. Hmm. Well, there you go. There's the argument for and. Also, uh, just a point you made there, Scotland did beat Ireland in the run-up to Euro, Euro 2016. I meant, I meant finish ahead of them in the group. Ah, yeah, but 
we shouldn't forget the actual in, on in a match and on aggregate also I believe yeah that's correct but um, are we saying that Chelsea were a better team than Manchester United in 93-94 because they beat them 1-0 twice Okay. leaving uh, aside the FA Cup final of course which Man United won 4-0 mm, ok um, the rugby then so 20 years since it went professional now when it went professional in 1995 you there was a a big difference between what a, a football kit looked like at that time and a rugby kit um what sort of in terms of years how far behind would you say rugby kits were at that point behind football kits i assume they were behind yeah i suppose you'd say maybe about 40 years so um if you're putting years on it because they were wearing what are known universally as rugby shirts um with the kind of shirt like collar and the kind of the uh cottony kind of material uh which football teams were wearing in the 50s before um before evolving to the round neck and further on then to polyester and, and various other changes like that and uh, so yeah it probably was about 40 years of a difference which uh, seems incredible when you think of it okay so we're saying 40 years behind in 1995 when the the transition happened from from the amateur game into the professional game yeah that's that seems a huge amount to to be able to catch up but since then they they do seem to have caught up would that be right yeah well i i suppose i don't know would you be comparing the two of them really because they are very different types of games so they need different different um different performance equipment um but certainly the rugby kit has evolved hugely from from uh, the mid 90s if you compared two pictures uh they're they're worlds apart really uh like the jerseys used to be very baggy uh with floppy collars and now they're they're skin tight practically sprayed on um and the main reason I presume is to prevent opposition players grabbing any part of the kit to try and stop stop a player carrying the ball um, which is why they got rid of the collars first of all uh, and then just kind of limited any 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 area on the shirt that could be uh, grabbed hold of hmm. now I did read somewhere that um when they started playing in like the 1870s, they used to wear a, a shirt with a bow tie and walking boots. Now, obviously, it's evolved, even in the amateur game, it evolved on somewhat from that. And in football, it's only really that Spanish team that still wears bow ties. So I think it, since they've gone professional, the I think they're maybe even ahead of football because you say about skin-tight kits, the first skin-tight kit I remember being commented on for its functionality was, I think it might be a rugby league team, Bradford Bulls or something. And I'm not sure which year it was, but the way I remember it, it was it was certainly something that had happened before football, say the, the Kappa Combat range and so on. Certainly before that was held up to be 
an innovation in football. It was it was rugby had led the way. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure of that now because I wouldn't have a huge interest in rugby league. But rugby league was, of course, professional all along. So maybe that might indicate why that was a bit further ahead than rugby union. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose that would be the case. But even then, it seems it seems like there's a level of intelligence in both games that either football doesn't have that intelligence or for some reason football is, is holding on to some traditionalism. Because it, if you go back to rugby union, it's virtually all tradition has been dispensed with if you look at the kits now. So they all right, they might be in similar colours, but so many sponsors and everything is, is very much geared towards performance on the pitch and advertising 15 different companies. Yeah. So that's, that takes the, the game forward a lot quicker than, say, football does with its limitations. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what you say. It's more intelligence. Um, like, with, with the money in football, you'd have to think that the manufacturers would have kind of would have made whatever whatever advances they could you know i i don't think the manufacturers kind of have this big list of stuff in a cartel somewhere and that they're saying okay we'll launch this in five years time and that'll improve things and then the next thing in another five years uh i just don't I think with the large levels of physical contact in rugby, they need a different kind of kit. Uh, whereas in football, the requirement isn't as pressing. Does that make sense? Yeah. I Are you saying you don't think that there's a, a deliberate drip-feeded or, or staggering of these releases? or I, Yeah. Just thinking. I don't think there is. Like, if you were the team who lost the Champions League final because of something like that and you found out oh the manufacturers aren't going to introduce that until two years time you know would would you would you take a court case against that <laughs> i i don't know given the, given the like, levels of money you involved wouldn't, you would, wouldn't find out about it though would you i don't think you wouldn't i wouldn't have thought you'd find out would you would don't they work very closely with their uh technical suppliers yeah, but the technical supplier will tell them exactly what they want to tell them. So, I mean, it's these meetings mean nothing. If if you've got whoever the president is at the minute of, of Real Madrid and he's talking to like someone from Adidas, I mean, they they could tell him anything. He's not going to understand anything, is he? I I don't think. Well, the managers for the biggest clubs, the managers change so often. They probably don't sit in on these those meetings. They're probably just given the kit at the beginning of the season, and they have to work with it. Yeah. So anyone higher than that, a technical director, are they even going to care? Yeah, but where where would the motivation be to hold stuff back? Could they not just have the kit at the state of the art level now, and then just improve on that in a few years? All right. Well, as an example, then how long of of rugby been using the technology of whatever they are the heart sensors and all that kind of stuff so england in the world cup had stuff like that didn't they <laughs> how did they get on with with, with the aid of all that stuff <laughs> well that that's irre- well it might be relevant but they still 
I don't think that's the reason why they did poorly. Unless uh, there is an argument in football, isn't there, that now the Optus statistics <laughs> are so... Uh, they're being used to such an extent that players will prefer to play a, a short pass to make sure their pass completion rate goes up than they will play a long pass, which will affect their stats, but could lead to a goal. So that there is an argument that it's it's counterproductive there. Yeah, but that's because some players are idiots. I think the bigger clubs use better metrics, don't they? Uh, I think I remember but... reading that in... Uh... Was it the numbers game, or else was it living in the vol- living on the volcano? That you know you can't just look at passes completed. Like the the the, the top clubs definitely don't have such a narrow um, a narrow view of it. All right, to use the technology element again, then in the two thousand three World Cup, Clive Woodward and what he did with England. Then, if we're gonna beat England with that stick. What they did with technology and the analysing the sports science and all this kind of stuff seemed ahead of football at the time. Would yeah, and it, it was also ahead of every other rugby team at the time, yeah. Except France, I suppose, because they had the same kind of kit at that World Cup. Um, but at the same time, well, England probably wouldn't have won that World Cup without Johnny Wilkinson. And, you know, that's outside of technology. Well, I'm not sure. Sh- I don't know if that is outside of technology because another thing they do in rugby is that the backs wear different boots to the forwards, don't they? Or I think they wear different boots and the stud lengths are different is probably the main difference, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure if the different boots thing happens as much as it used to. Just give me one second. Uh... But what, what did Wilkinson wear in that World Cup? Did he wear Predators? Predators, I'd imagine, yeah. But so I said the football ones. Yeah, they weren't specially for rugby. No, in in the old days, a lot of players would would wear uh, very kind of high top boots with ankle supports. But I reckon a lot of that was kind of placebo stuff because I'm just looking at a picture here now of Keen Healy, an Ireland prop, and he is wearing fairly normal football boots. So what they wore in the old days. You know, clearly they didn't develop that technology further because it, it didn't give the performance increases they were looking for. But that's, I suppose that's uh, an argument against what I'm saying about rugby being ahead. That Because I've heard of Keen Healy, so for him not to have like a, a specific boot contract and be provided with the top of the range rugby specific boot if not his own signature boot that seems a, a little bit surprising no but he my point is that he probably does have a boot contract but he's wearing football boots rather than special rugby boots but that but even then why is there not a, a specific because surely what he does has got to be different to what a professional footballer does so what his needs are have got to be different to that. So why is the best boot for him a football boot and not a specifically designed rugby boot? Um, probably because the boot manufacturers wouldn't get enough out of it, out of developing a special mm. boot, and in terms of sales, which is what it comes okay. down to, really. Yeah, I, it's it's something we mentioned before that that it's 
it's market driven before it is actually catering for the needs of the sports person, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I wrote a piece on this about, oh, it was eight years ago now, about comparisons between rugby and football and um, the shirt styles. And I said, I, I said something, I said, the basic and unchanging principles of the design are still the priority. And I think I was referring to the New Zealand All Blacks shirt. Is that still the case, would you say, in 2016? Is, is, are they instantly recognisable or are they poles apart from, the say, even the 87 team that won the World Cup? Are the players instantly recognisable? or the... No, the, the shirts. Instantly recognisable as an All Black shirt? Um, yeah. Well, the fact that it's black and it has a silver fern would mark it out as instantly recognisable, yeah. Okay. Uh, have I misunderstood the question? No, the, I understand the point you're making, but what I mean is, um, we've seen a, a gradual evolution from, say, 1987. So it's book. the World Cup is bookended by New Zealand teams winning. Yeah. So if you, we've seen an evolution and which um, which incorporates professionalism coming into it yeah. between 87 and now 2015 when the last World Cup was. Yeah. Um, the Obviously, the, the shirt has gradually changed. But if you were presented in 1987 with that the current All Black shirt, would would you be appalled by it, or would it be acceptable even then? It would look futuristic, but would you say, okay, well this is this is okay as an All Black shirt? Um, it's a tough one to answer. Um, but I I don't think they'd be appalled by it because it is still, you know, there's no doubting what it is. On first glance, it's like saying, "Go back to 1987 and and show Brazilian people the current Brazil shirt." It's still, it, it is what it is. Like there, there's no confusing it. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, but Brazil were rubbish. That like 87 Brazil shirt was made by Topper. Yeah, but so. Brazil are rubbish now too. <laughs> well nothing changes that's that's not something we can that's not our conclusion today that everything stays the same um okay so something that they do in rugby is i think they have like textured shirts for the players is that right they have a like... thing that's called grip tape uh which okay. helps them hold the ball better carry the ball hold on to it Okay, and so what is that? That's in the middle of the shirt, is it? Yeah, yeah, it's this kind of rubbery material which kind of helps the ball stick better. So you'd wonder really about the legality of it, but everyone has it, so it seems to be okay. Okay, and so all teams basically have a version of this on on the front of their shirt? Yeah, they do, yeah. And the manufacturers have started to play with it a little bit by you know, putting in little details on it, you know, historical stuff or just a team's insignia repeated over and over again. But um you like you like this one now. Wasps their grip tape 
is uh, just double check to make sure I'm right their grip tape is a load of little Land Rover logos <laughs> because they're sponsored by Land Rover <laughs> really thanks um, it does that what 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 color is that is that is that like a watermark does it look like or yeah kind it... of yeah like it, it, it's yeah it's the same color as the shirt itself right so from from a distance when you're been... watching on television it's hard to notice it you'd only see it really close up Okay, so let's say, and I don't know if they do have any sort of regulations regarding sponsorship at all, because they literally, well, they uh, literally, I'm not sure whether literally is the right word, but they plaster the shirts with um, with sponsors. So let's say there is a regulation, a limitation to how many sponsors you have on, that would bypass it, do you think? And it's, it's not something we see in football, which we suggested on another podcast, that we could have sponsors as, as a watermark to bypass regulations, but it's not. It's not so what we have, is it? Um, yeah, I do, I don't know. It's a good question, really. Um, like <laughs> nobody would notice it, I suppose, enough for it to be viable because you'd only see it very close up, and it's the same color as the shirt. So, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's anything. There's any point in it. Um, I suppose. Uh, well. <laughs> That's something we'll come on to in a second, because it, in rugby, just just something I, I wanted to check. We talked about different boots, maybe for forwards and backs, but you think probably they all wear football boots anyway. Yeah. But the do they have different shirts? So if they have that grip stuff on the front, are yeah. there certain players that need that grip stuff more than other players on the team? Yeah. Perhaps you'd say that forwards would, but then the backs carry the ball as well, you know. So I I don't think there's any literally material differences um, between what the backs and forwards wear, uh, like there yeah. would be in American football, where the um, the uh, the players, the offensive and defensive linemen who um, would be ready for the uh, after the snap, who basically grapple with each other. They would have very tight jerseys with um, very short sleeves, uh, whereas the quarterback would have a normal, normal enough shirt with kind of baggy-ish sleeves because it's not as much of an issue for him. But I think in American football, there is a lot of... Um, a lot of allowance made for the individual's own um, own preferences, uh, and in rugby, I don't think that that happens. I, I I'm not sure if it happens at all, really. Uh, and I suppose maybe part of that reason is um, is that in American football, every you know a player has his own number for the year, and so it's his jersey. Whereas in rugby, it's uh, it's one to fifteen. So might be a different guy wearing it the following week and it might suit him yeah but the the size and shape of players is generally determined by the number isn't it in rugby uh, to to a degree it would be yeah hmm. 
Because that that's there's two things there. I I can't believe that a back in football should uh, sorry a back in rugby because in football it's not as important because everyone's more or less the same shape and weight and everything all more or less the same certainly uh, proportionally speaking yeah. but in rugby it's very very different between the backs and the forwards so to have them all wearing trying to get into the same I know there'll be different sizes yeah but proportionally speaking some people are going to have bigger shoulders than others and that kind of thing I would have thought so you'd think that the shirts would be made for a certain position. Yeah. Or it, it should be something that they should be thinking about. Yeah, um, you, you'd imagine so, and it might happen in the near future, but um, it doesn't seem to be a consideration at the moment anyway. Uh, there is actually one kind of exception, but it's more, more from a commercial uh, viewpoint than a performance one in that Bath... Uh, had a sponsorship deal with Dyson for the past two seasons and Dyson have different slogans on different players shirts so I'm just looking at a launch picture here and there's five players lined up uh, and one of them is Gavin Hinson as it happens and he has 110,000 RPM written under Dyson player next to him has on a ball player next to him has animal the player next to him has digital slim and the last player is hot and cool. And all of these different shirts would be worn in the same game. But they'd all have Dyson written as well. Okay. So this is not really something we've seen in football. But it is something that uh, myself or John suggested in in a podcast. Podcast number five, I think. Uh, we talked about the possibility of different players having different sponsors on their shirts so for example if they disagree with the um the ethics of a particular company they could have a different company on their shirt perhaps but yeah but then they example, should take they, they should uh, have lower wages then too really shouldn't they if if they're that uh, ethical they wouldn't take the money from the company that the company give to the club well, but maybe that is something that could be written into the contract because instead of having that, well, I think uh, I, I think I, it's grandstanding anyway. <laughs> well, it's, it's grandstanding for me so far. Not a player hasn't actually demanded it. Uh, there was there was um, wasn't there talk that um, someone from Newcastle was not going to have um, uh, Wanga on his shirt. Wasn't uh, was it Pepe Stembasise? I think it was. Uh, yep, it was him, I think. Yeah, that was... But it never happened, did it? Yeah, but he got a bit of publicity out of it by not doing mm. it. So... Well... Yeah. But we you, you said we've never seen it in football, but we have seen it in the 1987 FA Cup final when uh, a few of the Tottenham players who were opposed to alcohol didn't have the Hudson logo on their shirts. <laughs> That is true because there was yeah about half of a football team was yeah. opposed to alcohol in nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, because in those sure, days yeah. no footballers, well half the footballers didn't drink. Obviously. Yeah, that yeah. that was definitely the case of the eighties. Yeah. yeah, I think that was a, a printing error or something to that effect. Yeah, but, I think it's just uh, indicative of the kind of badly run club Tottenham is. <laughs> this uh, you shouldn't be. I'm not sure I'm going to allow someone to be so partisan on here, unless it concerns a, a certain Glasgow club. Um, the the other thing is that rugby still has short shorts. Uh, 
Yeah. Now, has rugby ever had big shorts? Uh, I'd imagine back in the old days it did. Um, when the players wore what were known as knickers. Um, when the kit was very similar to football, um, with rugby having evolved from football. But I think, I think that probably is the kind of an early example of the, you know, the less grabbing area you'd imagine, because, you know, if you're trying to attack someone in his lower body, you better chance when the shorts are longer. So I'd say yeah. that's how that um, uh, developed. If I played rugby, I think I'd prefer to have a little bit more short than have the player grab me where he could grab me down there. Okay, I think he could probably grab you there regardless of the length of your shorts. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. It's probably why so many people play rugby. Yeah. Um, the, so I think that is actually maybe an example of where the professionalism didn't come in until 95, but the baggy shorts supposedly came in in... 1991 so it it sort of missed the boat missed that transition maybe in, in terms of the baggy shorts coming in in football in 91 yeah yeah but I, I i suppose they had deviated away from each other by that stage you know um i don't think there wasn't anything of a replica market in rugby in the early 90s in the amateur days so they probably weren't as as clued in um, commercially to, to, you know, to worry about trends like that. Yeah. You know, you could say that they didn't go for the really short shorts like football in the 80s either. Hmm. That's true. But there's, currently there's no reason, performance-wise, for players in football to wear baggy shorts, is there? That's It's just a style thing. I think it's just a style thing, yeah. Yeah. Unless to put numbers and and bigger sponsors on there as well, I suppose. Um, oh, speaking of shorts again, um, in rugby, I don't know if they still do it, but Racing Metro used to have the names on the shorts. Okay. Um, it that, seems it seems more like something we could do. It is something we could do in football as well. Well, yeah, you, I presume you wish that Celtic did. No, I don't actually. Um, I, I, I'm always, I would always be happy for a name to be on the back of the Celtic shirt. Oh, but, but I would prefer that. But the numbers in the on face the face of the like a name is where it is because it's over the number. The name is fitted around the number, and you're still breaking the sanctity of the hoops if you put a name on it. All right. Um, there's two things there in in rugby. You, this is the thing, isn't there? Something that happened with the league, the football league in the early nineties, where they were going to do something like this. Apparently so, yeah. Um, that they were going to have squad numbers. Um, but the numbers on the shorts would be two to eleven. So. so and then the shirts were going to have a squad number, so they would... Yeah, I so... think so. But it didn't It didn't happen. It was discussed in the summer of 94, but didn't get enough votes, clearly. Cause it, so there's two options here, and 
maybe one way works well for rugby and one way works well for football is that you could have shirts with the names on it and then the player keeps the the shirt the whole season and then the shorts have a number on them and that changes game to game because then it could go back to your 1 to 11 system couldn't it uh, yeah you could um i i thought for a while that that's what some premiership clubs did rugby premiership clubs um as opposed to the premier league and football which a load of people still call the premiership eight years later um but I, I like a lot of the Premiership clubs have player names, and then the number is blue on a white background, so it looks just like a big sticker. And I thought that the player had a shirt for the season, and the number was just taken on and off depending on where he's playing. But apparently, it's just a sponsorship thing that it's blue and white on every team shirt. Oh, okay. But that's that's a terrible thing about rugby, and that is something where they're behind football in the clashes element. Yeah, and having a white white patch on the back of every shirt is horrendous. Yeah, and it causes Especially terrible confusion. As so much of the game is, you know, rocks and malls where you can only see the players' backs anyway. But that's only the English yeah. clubs. I hate Yeah, but especially with all the sponsors as well, it just looks like a mess. Yeah. But. That's- that's just the way it is. Um, in the in the Pro Twelve, well, I'm I'm not sure if it's the case with every team in the the Pro Twelve, but the Irish um teams only have one sponsor each anyway. Um, they don't have the kind of mishmash that the English clubs do. Okay. Leinster and Munster yeah. make an exception one for one game each season, where they're both sponsored by Bank of Ireland, and Bank of Ireland run a kind of a a competition for small or medium enterprises um, to have their name on the shirt for one game. Ah, okay. So small and medium enterprises that bank through the Bank of Ireland. I'm not sure if that's a condition, but it would it would make sense, I suppose, from Bank of Ireland's point of view. Yeah. Hmm. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Okay, um, something else that's close to my heart when it comes to rugby is that I think it, I don't know who, who made them. I think it maybe is Canterbury. But the big thing for me is that base layers in football do not represent 
what the long sleeve shirt would look like all the time. So Blackburn is the main example that Blackburn will either wear a blue base layer or a white base layer. I think it's white base layer most of the time. And then obviously one of their sleeves is blue. So it looks a little bit stupid on that sleeve. Um, in rugby, they do extend the pattern of the shirt, whatever it is. And in rugby, it's more likely to be patterned than it is in football. Um, Leicester Tigers have tiger stripes in green and red and white or something. They don't and have that kit anymore. Layers... That was a few years ago. Yeah, no, it's not current, I know. But the they did have a tiger stripes kit. Yeah. And... And the base layer echoed that. I mean, it, it, more than echoed it, it was. It, it was looked like a long sleeve yeah. shirt because it just continued it. Yeah. But what? Why are they ahead? Why is? It's a simple rule that the the base layer. But I don't think it's the a rule in rugby. I shirt. think that was Ken, Canterbury just, um, just pioneering something. I don't think it's a rule at all. Well, it's, it's a rule in football. Yeah, but it, it's not a rule in rugby that the base layer has to have the same design. But that's but that's even worse, maybe for football then that they did something. But that was innovative. But why hasn't it done it been done in football when it's required? I I, I don't know. You'll have to ask um, a football kit designer. <laughs> well, now you tell me. Um... <laughs> I would have thought it would have occurred to you well it should have occurred to me but i didn't want to go there but i i have to do it this because it's such a great example of of something which is glaringly obvious being done because it's the right thing to do but in in football we don't do it yeah but, but rugby players don't wear um base layers to the extent football players do anyway well, I, I looked for some pictures of this and it didn't take me very long. Once I'd seen that the base layer existed, I looked for pictures of it. And it didn't take me long to find pictures, but it took me a long time to work out that it was actually a base layer being worn and not a long-sleeved shirt because it was so good. What did you search for? Well, I don't know, Leicester Tigers in that season, I suppose. Yeah, so you were looking for that. Yeah, but it didn't. T I didn't have to sift through a lot of Leicester Tigers pictures from matches to find ones where the Leicester Tigers players were wearing those base layers. Maybe they but decided they the to wear base layers that season because they were so good. What's that? That was the only base layer they could have worn. <laughs> yeah, but they were wearing base layers. You said that rugby players don't wear base layers. I said they don't wear them to the extent football players do. They're not as ubiquitous in rugby. That it that is true. I, d I did comment on it um, during the World Cup last year that that those ponces didn't wear them. Uh, well, I suppose you would regard someone who does wear a base layer as a ponce first and foremost. Uh, which come which brings me on to uh, the retailing of this kind of stuff. Now in rugby, something that that happens in football as well, but in rugby they seem to have really grasped it a lot better. Is the concept of two versions of the shirts one for a supporter and one which is the what the players wear but the supporter can also buy if they want to now how long has this been going on for um since 2003 since since england and nike developed the skin tight skin tight shirt for that world cup and the the players kit changed uh, 
in an audible way. Okay, so it was it was separate from because as we've said before, up until say nineteen ninety five in rugby union certainly, the the player shirt would essentially be a leisure top. It would be a comfortable top that sort of people would wear with uh, body warmers and gilets or whatever they're called uh, now. So in 2003, obviously things changed. Like we said with Clive Woodward, Woodward the, the shirts were more important. Uh, the style of shirt they were wearing was much more important, but that wouldn't necessarily be something that was marketable in the same way because people wouldn't want to wear like a tight fit and top like that. So they now market both. Is Does everyone do it? I'm not sure Adidas do it, do they? Canterbury do and Nike do, I think. Uh, sorry, actually, I changed my original answer. Um, the first big change was in 99 when New Zealand signed with Adidas. But the New Zealand shirt on field has never carried the three stripes, but the supporters' versions did. But that was just a stylistic change rather than a... Well, I suppose that first New Zealand shirt was actually um, a big a big change in uh, terms of performance. Um, so, 99 for New Zealand, but in the Northern Hemisphere, England changed in 03. Then everyone else started to copy them. And hmm. um, then like you began to notice how there were two different versions uh, marketed. Okay, just going back to that 99 then, I, I didn't know about this. So I, it was always something that I had thought that Adidas, when they took on the New Zealand contract, that was a stipulation that they could never put the, the stripes on the sleeves. Yeah. Are they on the match shirt now? No, they're, they've never had... Um, the, the three stripes have never been on a New Zealand shirt. That okay, in game. but the supporters won. But the supporters ones. So, as a supporter, you can't buy. Um, or could you buy then the player's shirt to to have not have the three stripes? I'm not sure if you could back then, but I think the replica no is a replica of the match shirt. But definitely in '99, there was this black rugby shirt with three white stripes down the sleeve. There was a, uh, you know, a fairly. A fairly poor kind of um, uh, replica version, really. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a that's a terrible thing. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, that's awful to not have the option that year of of wearing. When it had been agreed that you would never sully the shirt with with the three stripes to have them in white, certainly if they were in black, it wouldn't have been so bad. Yeah, well, it, like the, if they were contrasting. The on-field shirt had a granddad collar, and the supporters one had a rugby shirt collar. That's, that's even worse still because then you're saying yeah. this is the more traditional version and we're still putting the three stripes on yeah. sleeves. Yeah. Terrible stuff. Okay. Um, so now we have the two versions. Now the, the difference I've noticed between football and rugby is a player shirt... There's been a change in football. So the better shirts used to be the ones the players wore in, say, the early 90s. They had fully embroidered crests and that kind of thing. And it was just a better quality version. Now, they've realised that it's much more important to in football to make the players' shirts as light as possible so they just have transfers of the crest a lot of the time and, the and say, the manufacturer's logo and the stripes are, like, painted on or they're, like, a rubber strip rather than... than uh, 
either tape or uh, like material, individual material stripes. So that's the way it's gone in football. And if you actually look at the the player shirts, a lot of people like to collect them, but they're not they're not going to go through the wash too well, and they just don't look as good close up because they don't need to. All they need to be viewed viewed as is on television, and all right, even if we've got HD, it, it's not going really going to show up that the crest isn't embroidered or isn't stitched on that kind of thing. Yeah. But in rugby, there seems to be a different approach to it. So the the England shirt, the Canterbury England shirt for the World Cup, is the player shirt is fantastic and the supporter shirt is great. So the supporter shirt has a fully embroidered crest, which looks beautiful. the The player shirt, it's like a, a raised, embossed but also textured plastic, and it's really, really good quality. Yeah. Despite the fact that it's been worn by the players and they don't really need it that way, that's encouraging. I would have thought that there's still that effort goes into it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's hard to know really. Like, um, what, what, why make the effort to kind of go all minimalist in terms of what is put on the shirt, and then to go back to this when it was really just kind of basically a version, or, or it was basically just an example of showing off their technology uh, capabilities. I think. By just saying, oh look, we've this special injected um, plastic, um, so I, I suppose it, it calls into question the extent of um, of how of how much you need to employ the the uh, the technology on the on field shirts. Am I kind of yeah. rambling there? But, Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that makes sense, and I I agree with that that. That maybe again, like this is something Jason said. So again, it's it's always as if you're gearing it to the market again or the marketing by creating a product that that is able to be sold yeah. and compromising the ideals on the pitch. But in this case, I kind of like it because that shirt is much more expensive. I think it is if yeah. you buy the, the the player shirts, it's well over a hundred pound. I think yeah, and. So you are actually getting something that's quality. Now, Adidas will sell the, the Man United player shirt for a similar sort of price, I suppose, maybe a little bit under. But it's rubbish. It's like really, really basic. It's not going to last you very long. So you, as a consumer, you're getting a better product from the rugby. Yeah. But, uh, our rugby but, fans, are, are the buying public more um, discerning? Yeah, I think... I, well, this they, is something already, I'm thinking basically about. basically saying that they could put their logo and the Man United crest on a third and it would sell. Yeah, I think they probably are, yeah. which is very, very sad. And it's it's a horrible way to treat the consumer or the fan, depending on what your politics are. But th- this is this is something I thought about. Maybe it's because obviously the the amount of money that goes through rugby, despite rugby fans having more money because there's less of them. And it's not as commercialised. I don't know. There's not as much money as going to go through it. But I wonder who, in terms of conversion, in terms of actually hitting what the sales targets are, I wonder who's more intelligent. Paul Daniels, the English uh, magician, said once that there is such a thing as genetic knowledge. So he's in favour of hereditary peers in okay. the uh, House of Lords in the UK because they have genetic knowledge. And I wonder with the, the whole middle to upper class background of rugby, maybe there's a 
a certain intelligence there in business that means they do things a little bit better. I don't know. Well, Frank, and, and Skinner, maybe... Frank Skinner used to tell the story of his father who was, you know, working class man living in West Bromwich, wasn't it? Um, and he voted conservative all his life because he felt that, you know, these were the the upper class guys who were well educated, you know, and who were born to govern, basically. Well, if that's that is the conclusion, if that's the conclusion of this podcast, but maybe it's that football fans, there is an assumption that you can pull the wool over the eyes of the football fan and maybe not the rugby fan. You actually need to provide them with quality. But what if the the best marketing I've ever seen, and I don't know how it's possible, if you go within, say, 100 miles of Northampton in the middle of England, yeah. if you see a Range Rover, it will have a, a little Saint stick man on it. Okay. So, like, like the Roger Moore, the Saint logo, yeah. but it's carried a rugby ball with a little halo on the top. Yeah. And virtually every Range Rover car in that in that area, you'll see this. And I don't know how much money they make from these things, but it, it must be so much. Yeah. Just the amount of times I see these on the road is just crazy. More than I ever see shirts or anything like that. Yeah. So I'd like to, I'd like to see the figures for the the car badge, the Saints, uh, Northampton Saints Rugby Football Club. Uh, car badge that that would be that yeah, that is my wish to see the sales figures for that yeah but are you saying that only rugby fans buy Range Rovers um uh, I don't know what what comes first okay it's it's a chicken egg thing I think right <laughs> it's a chicken egg chaser thing yeah very good <laughs> okay um so that has been rugby. I think we've we've covered a lot of things there, Dennis. Have, have you enjoyed talking about rugby? I don't know if we're ever going to revisit that, but the, we've covered a lot of things. The influence on football, where it doesn't influence, influence football, where it should influence football, maybe. Yes. Is, there, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, other than just uh, everyone should visit my site because it's great. Yeah, but we'll get to that bit, Dennis. We, that bit always comes at the very end. I've got other things to talk oh, about. Oh, sorry. Get there. In in rugby, in international rugby, the home team still changes shirt when there's a colour clash. Oh, so the the way it used to be in in football, in certainly in friendlies, that's that's still the case in rugby. Yeah, it used to be the case in all football in the early twentieth century. Um. Oh, really? Yeah. In the, in the early oh right okay so in domestic football as well yeah oh right and is yeah, that it's so still that's, the it's case just... still the case in, in amateur football here I think anyway uh, lower How's level anyway uh, I don't think it is in the UK I'm not sure okay. um, so is that the same that goes for club rugby as well the home table change it, it, it changed in the European Cup um, in about 2002 after the first few years of it Um and I think in the Pro 12, it's the away team changes now as well. But they've kept the tradition at international level. Oh, okay. Okay. Interesting stuff. Yeah, that, so well, that is... uh, um, South Africa will change against Scotland, who are navy, but not against New Zealand, who are black. Uh, so the South African New Zealand games aren't actually ideal to watch. Uh, yeah, that's quite a dark shirt, isn't it? Yeah. 
um, South Africa. Okay, well that's surprising. Why? Because it's such a it's such a, a big game, I suppose. I is it? The so, news... yeah. You'd think I, in such a no, big I'm... game, you'd want people to be able to tell the teams better apart. But was that the case in the '95 final? Then, yeah. Yeah, South Africa's shorts weren't as dark then. Ah, oh, okay, but now they are. Okay, fair enough. All right. Um, okay, so that is rugby. We've covered rugby. Um, I think there are still things to think about there, whether it's ahead of football or behind football, or whether football can learn from it, or whether rugby can learn from football. But we'll we'll see how the next few years come. Yeah, the the technology thing is the thing. Rugby seems to be ahead in that way, and for whatever reason, football football's lagging behind there, and it is lagging now. It's it's it should be more involved in it. I don't, there's too much money in it for, for them not to be taking, um, proper, uh, tracking information and, uh, heart rate information during games to find out because you could be basing your substitutions at the beginning of the game. You should be basing your substitutions based on the fitness of the players during the game. And you should know that from previous games and they don't seem to, I don't think they will do from distance covered over different, sections of the yeah but in, in rugby you can bring on all eight subs whereas in football you can only bring on three from seven so the substitutions in football are far more dependent on how the game is going whereas they're almost pre-planned in rugby ah which okay which i think has a link um with the increasing number of concussions but that is definitely a, a discussion for another day hmm okay yeah all right. Yeah, we will discuss that another day, maybe. Or, or you meant not with me, with someone more intelligent. I, I didn't imply anything. <laughs> okay, so that is rugby done. Now we have some uh, corrections and retractions to make from things that were said in previous podcasts. In podcast number five, I said to John Devlin, John Devlin uh, said that England didn't have the admiral logo in the 1982 World Cup because they thought they weren't allowed it and then it turned out that they were allowed it. Uh, I told him he was wrong. It was the 1980 European Championships as that was the case. We were kind of both right and wrong. Would you agree with that, Dennis? Uh, yeah. Okay. Because England in the 1980 European Championships did not wear the Admiral logo on their shirts. In the 1982 World Cup, they didn't wear the Admiral logo in the first game against France, but then in subsequent games, they did. it, it did return to the shirts. So we were kind of both right, but uh, uh, I shouldn't have told John he was wrong. Let's put it that way. Um, the other thing we said is that in the 1984 European Cup final, Liverpool had the Umbro logos taped over. That is incorrect, isn't it, Dennis? Uh, yeah, because it's 81, isn't it? It was the 81 European Cup final that um, it's, it's since been pointed out to me by Shaky. Uh, so Shaky is a, let's say he's a friend of the podcast. Uh, he said that in the 81, in the 81 European Cup final, the Real Madrid president, I think it was the president, was moaning because Liverpool had the Umbro logo showing. So they were taped over when Real Madrid were wearing Adidas and obviously they had long uh, the three stripes on the sleeves so there was a lot more branding on the Real Madrid shirts than there was on the Liverpool shirts but that's uh, that's a little bit of a, an extra point on that um, any comments on that Dennis? 
No, I'm, ju- I'm just uh, impressed by your attention to detail uh, in terms of the oh. clarifications. Yeah, it's uh, it's important stuff. In the last podcast, podcast six, which uh, was with Jason Lee, I said that Manchester United do not have a bespoke kit this season. I misspoke when I said that. They do have a bespoke kit this season. Clearly, that's what I meant. I did not say that, though, so I just want to make that clear that I'm aware that Manchester United have a bespoke Adidas kit this season. Well, they have two, uh, really, don't they? Well, they, they have three, don't they? Well, uh, wouldn't you say that the home and away are the same bespoke kit? Um, I suppose it's part of a template, isn't it? Yeah, okay, so the first, yeah, home and away shirt. Oh, sorry, you're saying the third is a template as well? Isn't, you know, aren't all the Adidas third kits the same template with the jazzy shorts? Okay. Um... I think because of the... I think it, you could still class it as a bespoke kit because of the colours, maybe? It's a grey area. It's a black it's... And, and thermal orange area. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Okay, so that is... Uh, those are the corrections. If there's anything else, just let us know. Uh, my name is Jay. I can be contacted on Twitter, Jay29ers. Design Football can be contacted on... Uh, Twitter is Design Football. Uh, designfootball.com on Facebook. Designfootball.com is the website. Dennis has some uh, websites that... I'll, I'll try and tell people about them, Dennis, if that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Okay, Museum of Jerseys is uh i think it's now it's changed hasn't it it's been updated yeah it's it's music it's been modernized modernized so museumofjerseys.com uh is is a blog now so you can visit there and you will have new stories on there as well but you could also that is also a portal to arrive at corkcitykits.com pride of the jersey.com international rugby shirts.com and what's the address for the squad numbers one squadnumbers.wordpress.com Okay, all fantastic sites. Uh, everyone should visit those. Museumofjerseys.com is on Facebook also. And Museum of Jerseys, is that the Twitter name? Yep. That is the Twitter name. Uh, so you can send your comments. Dennis is way there. Uh, thanks very much, Dennis. Did you, you enjoy you talking about rugby? I did indeed. It's always a pleasure okay. to be on the best football kids podcast on the internet. <laughs> yeah okay we we all know what he means by that okay thanks very much Dennis bye 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 head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.